Hello everybody and welcome into Checkpoint AFK, the Pride episode of Checkpoint AFK. I am so geeked to have you along. My name is Callie Sloan and I am joined by my co-host for today, Chad Callahan. Chad, how you doing? I'm I'm ecstatic. I am so excited oh, yeah. for today. It's going to be great. I'm so geeked for this. So, uh, normally, you, you might notice, first of all, that you're not listening to Norris Howard. Uh, Norris is the usual host of Checkpoint AFK, and we want to wish him a very happy Juneteenth. We are recording this on Juneteenth, very important holiday, and we are so geeked that he could be celebrating that. However, when we asked if he wanted to be a part of the Pride episode, he said to me, and I quote, I'm very straight, and decided, you know what? <laughs> We're, I'll, I'll leave it to you two, and you can get some guest hosts, and that'll be a good Pride episode. So speaking of guest hosts, I need to welcome some people to the show. First and foremost, I need to welcome Parker Hadley to the stream. Parker, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm wonderful. I'm, I've been, like, amped for this episode all week. I cannot tell you. Like, it's been the craziest week at work, but I've just been like, just got to get to Friday. Just got to get to Friday. It's going to be great. Also joining well, I'm me. I'm excited to be here. Very excited, so. Also joining me, we have Amanda Stevens. Amanda, how are you? I'm I'm good. It's Juneteenth, and my bank account keeps growing because uh, guilty white people are just like filling my Venmo and PayPal, and it's the best day ever. That does sound like a great day. I never thought of that. That's so great. All right, I need we need a Pride (laughs) Day that I can get that going on because I'm all about this. I'm ready for this. Can we Pride Month some guilty straight people and they're giving us money? So, first of all, before we get... I, I You bring up a point that I actually wanted to hit on in this show, so I, let's just get into that right now. I saw a post yesterday that was mm-hmm. uh, literally... It was like a, a a meme where it had someone like with the, the wound on their arm, and it just said the wound was like white guilt, and the bandage going over it was uh, being queer or trans. And I'm just mm-hmm. like... Oof. Okay. That's a very difficult image to look at, but it is a really, really important message to go out there because I feel like you do see it sometimes where someone is like, I don't have to suffer white guilt or anything like that because I'm also, you know, trans or because I'm gay or because I'm bi or whatever it happens to be. And it's like, listen, I understand what you're trying to get. If you're trying to hint that we too feel some forms of oppression, yes, but you you have to get out the same extent. Well, I just have to acknowledge that as a white trans person, I fail. I face far less issues than a trans person of color would. Like, I don't. Yeah, exactly. Right. Amanda, you want to exactly. elaborate on that? Uh, I mean, so like, I'm not here to like make any of the white guests or listeners uh, feel bad or guilty. But uh, like, racism is not a straight people thing, um, and racism in like the queer and trans community is like a very prevalent thing. For example, like how long has it really taken for like Marsha P. Johnson to really start to visually get her dues for starting the Stonewall riots, right? We That wasn't the thing when I was like a young queer person in the 90s that I knew about. I just knew that the Stonewall riots happened and there was no real tribulation, right? It was just sort of a nebulous thing of fed upness with New York City cops. Uh, it wasn't until I got to my college years um that i had ever even heard of marcia so like that in of itself shows you that like white people like to erase brown people and i'm not saying all white people but like nebulously white people like to erase the accomplishments of brown people look at all the people on twitter yesterday losing their minds when they found out beethoven was black right right what i didn't actually see that i've been i've been so busy like i didn't even notice yeah i saw that all over my timeline of people being like wait beethoven was black and it's like how did y'all not know that oh wait all of you followers that are saying that are white 
Oh, okay. Yeah. Or like all the people that were like when are even like a more fair thing, right? Like the Tulsa massacre when Watchmen the HBO series started, a lot of people went, "Wait, what the fuck?" Yeah. Like that was a really aggressive ending to a show and then a bunch of people said happened and a bunch of white people went, "Nah, I would have heard about that in school." And I'm sitting there like, "Yep, just like you heard about the Tuskegee experiments, right?" Yep. Right? You've got it. Like, right? There's a... Right? Total, totally. Yeah. Way too much of so... history has been uh, kind of rewritten to be a little more palatable. Uh, yes. Yeah. So... so as we uh, get into this episode, I do want to give everyone a chance to kind of introduce themselves and talk a little bit about what they've got going on. Uh, so, uh, Chad, I'm actually going to let you start us off here. Oh, yeah. You, were... you didn't see that coming, did you? I, I well, if, if anyone, I guess it's anyone who's who's not who's new to the channel. Uh, we're doing a lot. I can't give. Can I give some away, Callie? I don't know. Can I give away some of what we're doing um, the upcoming month? I no, would say I'm not just... yet. I would say all right. Uh, July is going to be the biggest you... month we've ever had. Let's put it that way. And I am ready and not ready at the same time. So uh, I'm excited to like kind of kick things off. And like, if you think this is the last time we're going to do pride anything, you're kidding. Like for this, not Mm -hmm. even just this month, um, there's a lot of stuff coming up. So that's what we've been doing without having, without being able to say anything. Yeah. Just (laughs) if you're interested in checkpoint stuff, stay tuned because July is going to be unlike anything you've ever seen out of us. I promise you that. Uh, yeah. Parker, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you got going on. Yeah, sure. Um, so, uh, I've been streaming on Twitch for about two years now. Uh, started as a hobby, uh, just kind of with my sister. We want to play games together online with some friends and it turned into this. It's kind of, I've, I've been doing it for a while and, uh, some stuff going on though. Uh, I'm getting married to my longtime fiance. Congratulations! In about three weeks, oh. which I'm so excited for. Uh, his name is Alex. Uh, we're very open and honest about our lives for a lot of reasons, but uh, so everybody kind of already knows who he is, at least from my stream. And and we've been able to. Uh, I don't know. It's been it's been a lot of fun. It's been crazy with all the COVID stuff going on and just kind of the world just being a mess in a lot of ways planning a wedding right now don't recommend it ever during a <laughs> pandemic uh but i i can I'm relate to that uh my fiance and i are supposed to be getting married in october so yeah we we know funny thing is i was literally looking at your save the date callie and i was like i should check to see if that's still happening <laughs> we're probably going to be pushing it back because everyone's saying there's going to be around two of the pandemic around then and it's like oh we should probably mm-hmm. just push it back now why wait it's okay. so hard yeah. it's so hard to know what to do because you just can't predict yep. very easily and it's also of course up to like your personal preference like yeah. some people prefer to have smaller weddings so, and that's fine like if you if you want to do that then having a wedding during covid is probably okay because you're probably not going to have that many people there anyways right. but um i don't know it's had its advantages too being able to tell people that you know they can't come because of COVID has been a nice excuse. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's been a nice, refreshing thing for us, but also a bad thing. So, right. Uh, but just don't, don't, don't have a wedding during a pandemic if you can. Yeah. If you, if you have the option, go no, ahead and take a hard no, pass no, on that no. one. I'm pretty sure oh. everyone technically has the option. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 it's a serious thing. I mean, if we hadn't have planned our wedding 
a year ago and got engaged over a year ago, uh, we wouldn't have done it during this time for sure. Yeah, um, right. But that's about it. I mean, as far as streaming goes, I'm front paging for Pride Month on Tuesday next week, which hey. I'm really excited for. So if you're listening um, on the podcast, that would be Tuesday the 23rd. What time is that? Uh, it will be at 8 a.m. Uh, Pacific. So, so God, 11 don't make PM, me math. 11 a.m. Uh, PST. Uh, EST. Yep. Yeah, Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm an East Coaster who works with the West Coast very frequently. So We do, I, and I still suck at it. I feel like that's a consistent thing. And then I'm just, like, stuck in the middle of Mountain Daylight Time. And I just that's what I was never know what time zone to go by. Because so. you, I thought... I looked up Utah time because I was like, I'm pretty sure it's mountain time. And I looked it up and I sent you like a time. And then you're like, you put on your, your Twitter that PST. And I was like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I always feel like I have to translate to either PST or EST because that's just kind of what the standard is. I guess. Right. So the, the middle of the country doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, 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 it's mostly corn anyways. So that's fine. Yeah, pretty it's, much. It's like Chicago true. and then Houston. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, also joining us, we have Amanda. Amanda, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you got going on. Uh, hi, so I'm Amanda Stevens. Uh, I've been an esports content creator for the last five years. Uh, I also wear a bunch of other hats in esports. I work as a media trainer and a diversity trainer, most recently working with Cloud9 on their Pride initiative. So all the Pride merch that you have seen from Cloud9, if you are into esports, I had a hand in that. That's why the flag on our shirt is the all-inclusive flag and not just standard rainbows. Because, you know, if you're not going to make multiple merch for all the identities, maybe you should just have a broader spectrum on your flag. Uh, recently, I raised $10,200 for Trans Lifeline doing a Street Fighter V tournament. That was last weekend. And for the rest of the month, I'm going to try to do my own projects and focus a little less on consulting for a bunch of people. So hopefully I can get back on the train for doing my own stuff, which I haven't yes. done in like three weeks. <laughs> Personal branding is like one of the hardest things to do and do right. And like, especially when you're trying to like wear so many hats, I can only imagine. Like, yeah, it's really hard. like when I was just a content creator, it was a lot easier because like that's all I'm doing, whether or not as a freelancer, it doesn't really matter what site I write for because nobody's going to remember it as like a Jinx article or, you know, an ESPN article, especially when you're a freelancer and not a staff writer, they're going to remember that you did it or they're going to remember that you talked to a specific player. So personal branding is not hard as a content creator, but it's when you start doing things like media training or also being a diversity com consultant that you kind of lose time on your own brand because when you're working with like Cloud9 or Red Bull, it's not about you anymore. It's about like what their goals are and like making sure that they do it sort of uh, meaningfully and respectfully and impactfully for the communities they want to serve. And you kind of have to remove your own ego from that. And so you kind of fall out of your own personal brand thinking after a while because you're so right. busy working with other people's stuff. But then it's so weird because like we, we struggle with that too. I think here at like checkpoints, like we, yeah, we're checkpoint, but then we have to remember that we are little pieces of checkpoint <laughs> too. So we have to remember that like our personal brand also reflects the bigger brand and it's so hard to kind of find that balance. So it's interesting. I feel like at some point they're going to be talking to me about my social media because I've just gotten to the point of like, I'm going to post whatever I want. If I can find like weird LGBTQ content, it's up there. I don't care what it but says. But that, that fits the brand. I mean, even like if you look at our Checkpoint brand, like on our Twitter, like we've been we've been pretty vocal this 
these past few weeks and unapologetically. Oh yeah. You know. Oh yeah. So um, I don't, I don't know. I think that still fits what we're doing personally. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So as we all get to know each other, I thought uh, one of my favorite things about being out and being pretty vocal about my transition and what I'm going through is getting to share my story of like what coming out was like and what the whole experience has been because there are so many people who remain in the closet today either because they're not ready to come out for themselves or because they're not in a situation that really allows them to and I mean it's people like that that I I really kind of feel for because I can't begin to stress how much healthier mentally I am today than I was six years ago. And so I thought if we're willing to share, and obviously you can, of course, say no, but would you be interested in sharing what your coming out was like, what that process was like? Sure. I have a quick question. Uh, No one has to give an exact age, but like, what's the age range for all the hosts? Uh, I'm 30. So I'll I'll just go ahead and say I'm turning 30. Well, let's see. I'm turning 31 next month, although uh, it's also, technically speaking, Callie's seventh birthday next month. So I keep track of months. Yeah. Gotcha. I'm younger than Callie. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. You barely. can host by yourself. Good Lord. <laughs> I think I'm younger than You Callie. are younger. I believe you're younger <laughs> I'm 27. Yes, so. you're right. younger than me. Because I'm, I'm, turning, I'm turning 33 uh, because... My coming out story dates me a lot. And I think my experience might be a little bit different than some of the people both watching this and uh, on the panel because different time period. Mm-hmm. Like, right. we, 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 we try not to say that someone who's 27 and 33 aren't from different times because the age gap isn't that big. But like, I a lot grew up happened with different in the resources. 80s. Yeah, well, I mean... Yeah, like, I, like, I was born in 87 and I didn't have Google until... The towards the like middle of high school, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, you had asked so, like, Jeeves. I'd ask, which is actually part of how I tell my humorous coming out story, <laughs> uh, is by bringing up Ask Jeeves, and then a bunch of younger kids in college just go, "The fuck is Ask Jeeves?" And it's even better when I talk to middle schoolers because they just stare at me blankly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I say things like MySpace, and they're like, "What?" Yeah. Like, oh, right. it's like worst Tumblr, and they're like, "Oh," <laughs> and I'm like. Yeah, it's kind of like Tumblr, except worse. Yeah, can and you imagine Tumblr's that? kind of falling away? You know well, what I mean? Like, ooh. T- listen, Tumblr's been a cesspool for for ages. Like, can you imagine having to describe a platform <laughs> as worse Tumblr? But it was. Yeah. Oh, that's that's just a stab in the gut. Honestly. Do you like, love top <laughs> Tumblr? <laughs> I loved I I loved Tumblr a long time ago. I barely missed the train of MySpace. I feel like. That was like falling off as I like started actually getting into social media. So I knew of MySpace, but I never actually like was on the. I'll, I'll date myself harder. Jeffrey Star wasn't a terrible piece of shit back when I was a kid. Oh, uh, he was the edgy gender rebel on MySpace when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, I think that's an interesting way to start. <laughs> We're all going to have very interesting stories about what our our coming out was like. Because you're right, I came out in the Twitch era which is very different than someone who came out prior to the Twitch era. So uh, anyone want to go first? I can go first. All like, right. we'll do an alphabetical A, right? All so right, there you go. two people have to fight with each other, and Parker gets to go last. I feel like <laughs> he's vibing with that. Um, so for myself, uh, I'm trans. I identify as a trans female. I'm also a lesbian. When I was trying to figure out how I felt, 
there wasn't a lot of trans representation in any media uh, without, you know, being the dead person on, like, a crime procedural show. Yep. Ooh. Or, like, a mistress, right? Like, you know, the, like, oh, he's, like, dating, like, a trans hooker or something. Mm-hmm. So the only real, like, trans representation that I had as a kid was April and Rent, Hedwig and the Angry Inch, and I think that's, that's it. About if you, it. like, don't count Rocky Horror, right? So, like, when I was trying to figure out how I felt about my body, I didn't have a lot of resources. And, you know, like the joke I was making at the beginning of, like, ask Jeeves. When you ask Jeeves, you know, what does it feel to, like, not want a penis? You just get, like, a bunch of shemale porn. And that was fucking great. Uh, There wasn't a lot of language for trans people. I remember even getting, like, sneaking out of the library books aimed at like lgb youth mm-hmm. and like the t was like either not mentioned or like was a page right so i had like a huge difficulty until like high school of just like even having the language to describe myself which is something that i think like a lot of younger people don't have the same issue of like the internet is a much more robust search engine these days and it's a little bit easier to kind of find the words to describe yourself you know, that's why I think people talk a lot about, like, trending being trans. And it's less about more people being trans than before. It's more people knowing that they can, that that's what they are and having the language for that. Yep. So um, I came out towards the end of high school uh, because I grew up with some fairly conservative parents. Um, my first coming out experience was so great that I moved to England for two years. Oh, Oh, oh man, I put out like this big smile, like, oh, really? Oh. <laughs> I was excited for a second, and then I was like, I realized what that probably meant. Oh. So I went to a university that used to not have gender and sexuality non-discrimination policies. Uh, and to like put that into perspective, the Pride Club was like an underground thing. Because in the past, when they had tried to advertise it, it would cause problems for the students that went. Um, I had, uh, a Barbados, I had a a student from Barbados and a student from Jamaica, uh, as my sweet mates. They were pretty awful to me. Uh, one of my friends who was gay, uh, also had a not so great roommate and res life literally told us that unless our lives were physically being threatened, they wouldn't swap us because we wanted to be swapped. Yeah. Like our roommates all got along. So we were like, oh, well, like, this is easy, right? Just like they they don't like us we don't like them like why don't we just swap and they were just like we only do emergency housing swaps well this is an emergency damn it (laughs) so i didn't make it an emergency i didn't do particularly well at college my first semester and so i effed off to england and you know i I hope a lot of england was dope i lived in brighton for a bit which is kind of like living in providence Okay. Right, it's like a very queer city, very party, very very party oriented, very like younger skewed. Um, so that was great, and then eventually I came back to the states because I decided college was a good idea. Was not. Oh, I'm poor still. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I can relate I had, to that uh, one. Yeah, but I had a generally like better second round of coming out. But like again, there wasn't a lot of trans representation in like 2007 2008 right so like when you're coming out as trans and you don't fit that like person who comes out as trans while they're transitioned sort of image that a lot of people have right of like oh a trans person already looks like the gender 
that they say they are, right. a lot of people just didn't get it. Uh, and, you know, that's one of the reasons why it's been really important for me in my career to be a visibly trans person, right? To, uh, I'm totally comfortable with not being cis-passing because I've had a lot of people over the years since I've been out. I mean, I've all, my whole career I've been out. I never, like, I didn't transition during my career. Um, but I've had a lot of people come up to me at PAXs, at fighting game events, so, uh, even at League of Legends events, be like, hey, I just want you to know, or Magic events, hey, I just want you to know that you being out there and being unapologetically trans gave me courage to come out. So that's why I'm totally fine being non-cis-passing because not everyone's going to achieve that and that's not everybody's goal, right? Not every trans person wants to go on hormones. Not every trans person wants to fit that cis-normative body type. And so, you know, pride for me is always about living unapologetically trans. I love that. Thank you, Amanda. I appreciate it. Sorry, like I was like, I'll, I'll hit you all with the heavy stuff, and then give you like the nice, we need, like, light, oh. fluffy. <laughs> and no, but we need the truth. We need the truth, like, and that's like what this episode's about. And like, I think what you experience, and I guess I'll go next if we're going alphabetical. Um, what you experience, what I experience, like one thousand percent different. But like, I could, I can. I can't even imagine like the stuff that you went through because of how, I mean, it's, we'll say three ish years difference in age. Um, it's a big it, difference. It's a big difference. Mm -hmm. And I, but at the same time, I'm also, I also would consider myself more would gay, but at the same time, at, I, I also dabble with the whole androgyny thing. Like I really kind of, it took me a while to kind of get there, but um, I, I wouldn't say that I, I have any like, I don't know. I as far as like trans goes, I don't know where like the spectrum lives, but I wouldn't say mm -hmm. I'm like trans at all. But I do like the idea of androgyny and like wearing different types of clothes and and melding like the male, the the feminine, and the masculine together, especially in clothing. Right, a little so, bit, a little bit of gender queer. Right, a little yeah. gender queer. I guess that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, and and I think that that's where like I can kind of identify with you. Like, so just a little bit of there. But my coming out experience was more of confusion and not knowing what was like what 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 I was cuz I didn't really have like until high school all through high school I really didn't have like the sexual feelings like to anyone whether male or female and that was it was really kind of confusing for me it wasn't until like afterwards and I kind of like you know was free from school and like I kind of had my own like way that I started kind of feeling ways towards specific people and I realized I was more attracted to men than women even though I still thought women are pretty so that I was like well maybe I'm bi and I, it's just like it's really hard to kind of define yourself when you're that early but I think eventually you get to the point where you're like no this is what I like this is who I am and uh so that's where kind of I went but um so I'll keep mine short because I <laughs> I don't want to keep us going for too long. <laughs> Callie, I guess. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, I, I, so first of all, I told this story on the other identity. So if uh, you listen to all of our podcasts, I apologize. You've already heard this. But, you know, uh, Amanda, you know, I had a lot of the same things uh, uh, going through my high school years even. I had no concept of what a transgendered person was or what that meant. And to that end, since I didn't know, I couldn't describe what was wrong when I looked in the mirror. When I looked in the mirror and I saw a stranger every day, I couldn't describe why it was a problem. And my parents, 
quite reasonably went, yeah, you're a teenage boy going through puberty. Of course you don't like the way you look. No one does. And, I'm, and yeah. I mean, so, that's fairly valid. Well, I mean, yeah. it's like I don't bear my parents any ill will about that. That's probably what I would have said given my knowledge. And that's what I assumed was true. So I went to college. And I went and saw a therapist there because it wasn't getting any better. And my therapist told me, well, you're probably just having a, a difficult time adjusting to college. It'll, it'll pass. It's a phase. Well, it was not a phase. I'm going to tell you right now. It was not a phase. So I did, it did not pass. Instead, I got very depressed and very suicidal for a while. Um, and luckily for me, thank heaven, um, one of my close friends at the time basically blackmailed me and said, if you don't go see another therapist. I will show your parents the chat logs we have because I'm afraid you're going to do something terrible to yourself and I'll never forgive myself if that happens. And I cursed her out and told, called her a traitor and told her I hated her and did not talk to her for like a year. But she absolutely 100% saved my life. Like for, with no doubt. Like The therapist that I went and saw, her daughter happened to be trans. And by the end of like our first session, she was like, I think I might have some concept of what you're feeling and what's going on with you. Let me know if this sounds right. And it was absolutely correct what everything she said after that. So um, I, I got the chance to come out not too long after I started seeing that therapist. It was on a Twitch stream one night when I was playing Final Fantasy XI like a weirdo. I was don't know why I was playing Final Fantasy XI, but I, it's a game that I loved. So I was playing it and I just... Uh, one night, clicked my camera on in full makeup and full dress and just like, hi, I'm Callie. Nice to meet you all. And uh, that was my my coming out. It was one of my favorite. It's one of the happiest nights of my life. I'll never forget that night as long as I live. And even then, I didn't come out as trans. I came out as bigendered. And then a few years later, I switched to gender fluid. And it wasn't until just this year, about six months ago now, that I finally came out as trans and began my transition. Started taking HRT about three months ago. So that's my story. Good for you. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Parker, your turn. All right. Well, uh, my I, I guess my story is a little bit unique because of my background more than anything. Uh, I kind of talked a little bit about it before the stream started, but I'm, I'm from Utah, and as many people associate with Utah, Mormons. Uh, <laughs> I grew up Mormon. Uh, I was born into the church. Um, I actually, uh, Utah in and of itself is kind of a state that I consider to be a little bit behind the times as far as progressivism goes anyways. So you have that on top of the Mormon ideals and the Mormon lifestyle, and it really can um, cause a lot of problems for people like myself that are gay and that know they're gay growing up, but can't, can't. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, be public and open about themselves. Right. So, um, I I grew up in the church. I love the church. I really do. There's a lot of issues with it, no doubt. But it is my roots. Like I am a very spiritual person at heart. I definitely am consider myself Christian. Um, but I I served. A, a, I was a missionary for the church. I served a two year mission in Canada, uh, Eastern Canada, in Nova Scotia and Newfoundland and New Brunswick. And that was when I was 19. And when I was 21, I came back uh, from that mission. I served the full two years, and it was the hardest experience of my life. Um, one of the most rewarding in a lot of ways, but it was it was extremely difficult. And I came back, and as most Mormon families are, when you get home from your from your service mission, it's kind of the next step in life is to get married and and have a family and and you know fulfill your eternal, you know, destiny, I guess, would be a decent way to put it, uh, is to have a family and, and, and 
have them have a family and it's just this families like mormon church yeah. is all based around families so uh basically i got super depressed when i got back from mission because i knew i was gay and i had had really no previous experience before being 21 that let me manifest that and and let me kind of experience that side of my life um though my life wasn't like sad and i wasn't like i i don't i've never like had depression i i was generally just always a happy person but i knew there was the side of me that i wanted to explore for so long but when i got back from my mission and suddenly the next step in my like progression in life was to have a family i got so depressed uh i for a, the span of like two or three months i could not bring myself to like get out of bed and i had never experienced anything like that before because i knew that i was gay and i knew that i wasn't going to go marry a woman and and please my family and please my church and all this other stuff because i couldn't do that it was selfish i, I saw it as selfish if i went and dated and married and had kids with a woman and then never ended up actually like being that invested in it because I wasn't interested in her. So um, I decided to get on Tinder and uh, I just explored my sexuality a little bit through that. And that's how I found my fiance uh, was my first date from Tinder uh, was is now my fiance. So that six years later, fast forward, fast forward six years after that first date, we're now engaged. Aww. So, um, that's so cute. Yeah, that's, it, it, that's funny. I, you know, I'll, I'll admit this. Tinder is how me and my boyfriend met four years ago. Aww. So, it works sometimes. It, does. it works sometimes. Yeah. So I, I felt very fortunate, and the whole coming out experience happened after I started dating my now fiance Alex. Um, I didn't officially come out until about two years ago, and I actually wrote a, a short story. I wrote a book to come out, and I posted it to my social medias, and I said. Basically, hey, if anybody's interested in knowing more about me, read this book. And I didn't really post anything else about it. I just said, this is my coming out. And the people that cared about me and loved me, they read the book. They knew. And the people that didn't really care about me, they didn't. And and it's just how it was. I'm not super, I wasn't extremely open about my sexuality and who I was until I really started getting on Twitch. And exploring the atmosphere of Twitch and, and finding empowerment in the community of Twitch. So, uh, yes, my coming out was hard, but at the same time, there was a lot of, a lot of really great things that came from it and I'm in a very good place now. So that's wonderful. I love that story. And I think what's important to take away from these four stories that we just shared is they're all incredibly different. Not a one of them is alike. And that's the message that I would impart to anyone listening who might be in the closet and thinking about whether or not they want to come out is you can ask a million different LGBTQ people what their story was, and no one's going to give you the same story. So if you're thinking in your mind, oh, God, if I do it, this is going to happen, you don't know that. You don't know what it's going to be. I thought maybe the last thing that we could do is all share a piece of advice to someone who is still in the closet and is considering whether or not they want to come out. I'll lead with that because one that I've told people since my first time, since I came out, was – you're going to learn who your friends are, whether you like it or not. Your friends will stick by you, but you're going to learn who your friends are. And it's going to be a little painful. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, to, to, to piggyback off that one, but I have a separate one, is 
if you have someone who you think is your ride or die, like your rough rider, I would tell them first because like more than likely your rough rider isn't going to abandon you. Like I, two of my closest friends from actually three of my friends from like seventh grade were the first three people that I told and I came out, you know, like right after high school and they didn't flinch. And like, it made coming out to a bunch of other people like a lot easier knowing that I had like the, this like X core people um, just like there with the safety net and like some coming outs were really bad and, and not great and really hurtful. And it was, it was invaluable to have like those like handful of people that I could be like, Hey, this is how it went. And, you know, we either went to, like, Starbucks or, you know, they were just there for me on this old thing called Skype. Um, That still exists. Okay. You can believe that. (laughs) Um, But so that's one thing that I want to say to, like, piggyback off of what Callie said. Uh, My advice is realize that coming out is an ongoing process. Um, You know, we're told in the media, like, even through, like, you know, great movie love simon that it's this one big production of coming out and then everyone knows and then you just kind of go on with the rest of your life but like coming out is this ongoing process and you know i'm proud to be trans and a lesbian now but like i came out as trans and bisexual and then i came out as trans and pansexual and then i was genderqueer and pansexual right yep don't don't lock yourself into whatever it is you finally decide to come out as sometimes you just have these words that you have, they fit this identity and then you learn more about yourself and don't feel like you're no longer authentic because, you know, you realize you're not bi, you know, you're pan or, you know, you're not trans, you're demi, you know, you're uh, bi gender, right? Mm-hmm. Don't worry about the words, just take the first step. I think that's such a wonderful piece of advice because, yeah, like I say, I came out as bi-gender, then gender fluid, then trans before I finally got to where I am. And sometimes it is you just learn more about yourself as you go along and you go, oh, wait, maybe this makes more sense. Amanda, I got to ask, did you have the same thing I did where after I started telling like my closest friends first that I was like I was disappointed at how not a big deal it was to them? I was kind of like, oh, this is a little anticlimactic, actually. Uh, This is where the like very small distance in our age i think comes into play um especially since you came out fairly recently yeah. and i came out 13 years ago right yeah it was only seven years for um, me. so like when i came out 13 years ago um it was kind of a big deal okay. right because i didn't present feminine really at all um you know my parents bought my clothes yeah. uh i went to like uh i'm from an upper middle class family i went to a private school um you know it was a small school so like you know, you had jocks that were also, like, in chorus or in theater, so that, like, wasn't really a distinction. But, like, it, I definitely had high school friends that uh, did, took a blow. You know, they said, you're not that feminine. You're not, you know, this. You know, you're not that. You know, uh, why don't you just, why not just be gay, right? So I think I think the, the distance, right? I came out six years before you did. Mm-hmm. Um that's a really fair point because I remember telling my best friend and his reaction was literally like, yeah, that sounds about right. Okay. And I'm like, that's, that's it. That's all you got for me. He's like, you're wearing a, my little pony hoodie. Like, what do, what do you want from me? I'm like, okay, yeah, well, you know what? Super, fair point. I, was, I mean, like some of my really, really good friends knew because like I had, like I knew them from like theater camp or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Especially in the first, 
That should have been the first clue. Theater camp. So I, I call it a theater camp. When it, it, so it's called Yuzdan on Long Island. We have this okay. cultural arts camp. Uh, you can take theater. You can take uh, computer graphics. You can take broadcast journalism. Like it's where all the misfit kids go gotcha. to camp together. And so there, you'd have a major and a minor. So a major is something that you spend two hours a day at. And then a minor is what you spend an hour of your day doing. Um, and so it was pretty easy to test the waters of like talking about my identity at, in a setting where it's like a bunch of other kids who were queer or queer aligned, right? Yeah. Um, and that was before I went to high school. So those friends, they knew that I was queer-ish, right? Because I, I had a boyfriend at camp and, you know, I also had a girlfriend at camp. Um, so you got around is what you're saying. A little, you know, that's not the point of the story here. <laughs> Sorry, that's what I mean, it, it might be, it might be a little bit. <laughs> but so the, so like those friends, it didn't, like I said, those were those core friends though, right? That I, that when I finally had the words of I'm trans around like sophomore, junior year of high school, they didn't flinch because they knew that I was queer. So they were like, oh, this is the flavor of queer that you are, right? You know, because I never really came out as like gay or bi or anything. I just kind of lived nebulously as not straight. Okay. All right, Parker, do you have a piece of advice for someone who's sitting in the closet right now? Yeah, I mean, I I think first things first, obviously, is don't be try your best to not be ashamed of who you are. I think that was a big thing for me was I was just so ashamed of who I knew I was was that like I had this internal struggle that was unresolvable and that is 100% not the case. Like to be able to uh, move forward move forward with your life and and your sexuality and and all these things that you may be dealing with in your brain um, take it at your own pace. Don't feel like just because you have people around you that are coming out because it is a lot it's I think it's a lot easier probably to come out now just because of world atmosphere than it ever has before but even then don't feel pressured to come out like you need to come out when you're ready to talk and you need to come out when you're ready to do it and and let it evolve over time just like Amanda said let it evolve like just embrace yourself as a human being say I love myself I love my sexuality, but ultimately, I can allow that to change. Not the love for myself, but the love for my sexuality can change because there might be something else that will come up that suddenly you find yourself in a different situation and you can't hate that. You can't hate that that might happen. So I think to allow yourself to take the time that you need to come out, that, that's my number one tip because I know too many people that have come out too soon. They haven't been ready. They haven't been ready for emotional backlash from their families. They haven't been ready for emotional backlash of losing friends. And it causes a lot of problems. And I, I think, I'm not trying to scare anybody from coming out. That's certainly not the case. But, like, it's hard. It really is. And, and you have to be emotionally ready for it. And the people that really care about you, those are the ones that are going to stick around to be with you. So keep them close. Keep those people right. that care about you close. Parker, that's so I, well said. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, you know, I, I came out this year and you don't think part of that's because I have my own house now and I'm not living at home <laughs> with my folks and I yeah. have a stable job. Yeah, that's that's part of why I felt ready to do it for sure. And I mean, I remember when we put you you put out personally a company wide email about it. 
Oh like, yeah, yeah. So it was a big deal. Like it was. I mean, yeah, I emailed the whole cluster. Was very supportive. Mm-hmm. Like it was. So I mean, you'll know when you're ready. And I actually want to piggyback off that a little bit because actually I was going to say that, and then but luckily I have a backup. Um, is something I always kind of, I always caution. Again, I'm not scaring anybody, but I want to remind everybody to evaluate how safe you are first before coming out because there been there been there are times and places and it is 2020 but evaluate how safe you are and get your, yourself to a safe place as in like when you have a place to go and you're not afraid of who like you know who might beat you up or something because of what you are who you are um i guess that's kind of my advice cuz there's been a couple times where i've seen people come out and then immediately it it took a dark turn so well, evaluate if you are <laughs> there's that rush of i'm here or fuck the world when you come out and and it's going well and yeah you can sometimes you feel a little too right whatever and, and, and you make social some media decisions can social media can kind of cloud that judgment a bit because you see so many people talking about like i'm queer i'm proud and blah you know and they're out and about and they're out in you know la or or uh you know san francisco and with pride we're like that's kind of expected, you know, you see that a lot there, but you know, I don't, you know, you're in a more uh, rural area. It might not be the same necessarily. I'm not calling out any rural areas because my boyfriend's literally from the uh, buttfuck nowhere, Ohio. So like, and they accepted him. Um, but I'm just saying like, just evaluate your safety and, uh, and then make the decision. Yeah. All Can right. I say one thing really quick, Please. just about, so Same. one thing that I've really noticed lately, <laughs> one thing that I've really noticed lately that has kind of been uh, a little bothersome for me, and and it's it's I think it's no specific person, it's just kind of a mentality, is, and I think it's more of a cons- a conservative mentality is 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 bashing political correctness, and I think I think there's one thing to, that needs to be said about changing the mindset of political correctness to simply calling it like sensitivity and like acceptance like if you're willing to like this goes back to me like losing friends and stuff too is like they felt they always felt like they had to be so like sensitive around me and i think you have to develop a certain amount of defenses but at the same to like people saying things incorrectly like as far as like people saying like oh how's your girlfriend and like uh, i'm gay i don't have a girlfriend like that's not right. a big deal for me to say that right but some people like get really freaked out it's like oh i wasn't politically correct about that i think there needs to be a higher level of sensitivity and less of a level of fear of being not politically correct like just be sensitive to people and their situations and then if you do say something wrong be like oh my gosh that's I'm sorry I said that. Let's move yeah. on. Yeah, like, it's just understanding your ignorance, just Twitter, understanding yes. being open it, to I it. I talk about Twitter too. Like, there's just so much negativity <laughs> surrounding everything. Like, get get your heads out of your asses and just say like, it's okay. Like, it's okay. Yeah. You're not being blatantly homophobic, transphobic, racist. It's okay to mess up once in a while. We're all learning together. Um, so just. I, that's just something I had to say. I, I feel like with people coming out now, that's something that's important for people to know. Like you, you need to be sensitive to other people's feelings, but not to the point of like getting mad and causing a ruckus half the time. So 
I don't know. That's just my personal truth. Anyways, sorry. No, it's fine. <laughs> no, you're fine. Uh, I mean, that's something I say to a lot of my clients when I work to, with them, because there's I, I give them what I call a free pass to to be incorrect, um, because you can't learn if you don't know. Yep. Right. So if you say something that you don't know is wrong, then you don't you you can't we can't unpack it. Right. As a as a diversity trainer, as a safe space coordinator, if we can't figure out what's wrong, then you're just going to keep feeling like you're walking on eggshells. And that's not from a place that you can learn from. So what you said is like very true is like, you know, is it annoying to me when people like use wrong terminology about like my identity? Yeah. And you know what? I, I will also say that on my 13 years of, of this earth being an out trans woman, I can tell the difference between somebody who is ignorant and just doesn't know mm -hmm. the right words mm -hmm. versus someone who is actually trying to hateful. Yep. Um, be hateful. There's a difference between hate uh, and my, ignorance. Yeah, my last thing on this topic uh, is I have a book that I recommend to anyone who is thinking about coming out or is struggling with their identity, and it's called The Queer and Transgender Resilience Workbook. Uh, a friend of mine got it for me uh, a couple years ago uh, off of Amazon, and it's basically like it is. It's a workbook that helps you deal with things like microaggressions, figuring out language to talk about yourself, all these different tools to help you build up some of that resiliency that Parker is talking about. Um, that will allow you to navigate a world that may not be so kind to you. And also, it's really good for building self-esteem and self-confidence in your queerness, in your transness, in your POC identity. So if, you're ha if you feel like you're having trouble navigating those things, I highly recommend. What was this that book, book itself. called? Uh, it's called The Queer and Transgender Resilience Workbook. Uh, workbook. I will put it in our Discord chat, so Please. that way they can put a yeah. link to the show. Yeah, we'll link it on the, um, the part. Like, I have friends, yeah, I have, I've had friends who recently came out as trans who are really dealing with, like, not being cis-passing and, like, a lot of the backlash yeah. that comes from that. Um, and I said, hey, y'all know me. I've been out for X years, and I learned a lot of stuff and some a lot of tools from having this book, and so I recommended it to them, and it's helped a lot of them as well. So, you know, it's kind of not sponsored or anything. I, it's just hey. a book that I think is... Right behind, it's a good resource. What, you can't, what yeah. you can't see over here is all of the books I use for work as a diversity trainer. So it's a lot of books on identity, politics, and stuff. And so this is, as you can see, it's a little beat up. Um, it's no worries. Yeah, it's, uh, Thank you for it's that, a Amanda. I appreciate that. For uh, a lot of people who might be feeling away but don't know how to fix that. All right. Love that. We have to take a quick break here, lest my producer effing murder me. So uh, don't <laughs> worry. We're going to be right back. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, 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 inclusivity in gaming. All right, guys. We'll be right back. Backstagecountry.com, your online home for all things country music. Wondering who made our list of the top five all-time queens of country music? Did Carrie Underwood make the cut? Find out now when you text Queens to 45911 and scroll through the list on BackstageCountry.com. Text Queens to 45911 to see the talented artists who rounded out our top five list. Hey, what's up? It's James. And Robbie. Hey, and it's Weird Beard. And we're bringing you a brand new radio show called Checkpoint XP. You don't have to be an expert, even though I am. And we're here to give you everything you need to know about the world of video games. Interviews from the biggest professionals and your everyday gamers. We've got you covered at Checkpoint XP. Whether you're a professional player or somebody who hasn't played in a while, we have something for everybody. 
Hang out with us at Checkpoint XP every single week on your radio. Find out where we're playing in your hometown at our website, CheckpointXP.com. So if you're looking to have some fun and talk about video games, we got the rundowns for things that matter to you. Checkpoint XP. Your home for esports and gaming. Got it that time. Yes. <laughs> Nailed it. Is Diamond Dust an energy drink or an RPG attack? Mm, Diamond Dust. We're trying to go through and think. So, can I ask any questions about these energy drinks? Are they like well-known brands? It, it's literally just the, it's different different it's literally just the flavor. It yeah. doesn't say anything else about it. So I, we, I don't so even know don't what even the actual know. drink is. Like, yeah. I don't know what this uh, what this flavor is. A subsidiary. So of. you just you just got it off the dome, man. Diamond Dust. Best okay. guess. Hmm, Diamond Dust. To me, that sounds like an RPG spell, so I'm going RPG. Hey, everybody. Welcome back for the second part of our discussion with Parker and Amanda joining us for our Pride episode right here on Checkpoint AFK. So we spent, you know, the first part of our episode talking about our personal stories and giving some advice to those people out there who might be in the closet. And now I wanted to take a look at gaming because at the end of the day, what is the common thread amongst all of us is that we're all gamers. We all enjoy gaming. If you listen to this show, you probably enjoy gaming in some fashion as well, too. So what I want to do is take a minute to talk about representation in gaming because so often the phrase representation in gaming is really quickly just met with keep your politics out of my games and yeah. um which is a ridiculous thing to say first of all because here's the, the the sad truth is that video games are art and all artistic expression has politics in it whether you like it or not because choosing to be silent is a political stance whether you like can it or I, not can i make a comment too that we're also doing this on the day that left uh not left for dead uh last of us 2 drops <laughs> comes out yes or drops yeah, yeah. so mm. interesting interesting, <laughs> interesting point time. i know i'm sure we'll be hearing keep your politics out of my games for less uh last of us 2 all week long although we've been hearing that for the, since the leaks so yeah what right. are you gonna do so, uh, Parker and Amanda, I wanted to get your thoughts on representation in gaming and kind of where it is today versus where it was, say, in the mid-90s when we were all, or maybe the late 90s, early 2000s, when we were all getting into gaming. What do you think? Yeah. Um, I feel like there's... I, just thinking back, I'm trying to think of any games that I played when I was a kid that educated me about anything besides right. like the pure fact of gaming like outside of just lgbt representation i can't think of a single game that i played that had any kind of relation in in that way and and i i think about now um i think about my nieces and nephews and 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 they all they're all gamers they all play games and and the fact that they're able to be exposed to anything LGBTQ plus representation in games at their young age, you know, six, maybe like, like my, I think my youngest nephew is six. Um, and I, I think that's wonderful. Like the fact that I wish I would have known or been able to relate to any 
gay character in any game that I played when I was six. I think that would have been great. Because suddenly that would have made me feel more comfortable with feeling playing that game and, and feeling like, oh, there's something about this character that, that relates to me in this deep, dark way. Or not deep, dark way, but back then I probably would have thought that. I, I think um, my nieces and nephews being exposed to that now is something that's so important because it just goes along with kind of what we we're talking about during the break with educating and mm -hmm. and the, looking forward to the future and, and seeing the education happening so early on for these kids that are playing these games. I, I, I couldn't be more happy that it's happening, to be honest. I know some people will say it's like a cop-out for game companies to get more exposure on their games and things like that. And I think to an extent, maybe that is true on some cases. But regardless, I still think it's a good thing to to an extent as well. So it's it's hard for me to it's hard for me to bash it. You know, it's hard for me to, to say that it's dumb of this company to, to think about this uh, certain character all of a sudden after ten years saying Oh, this character's lesbian. This character is gay. Yeah, there's something weird about that, but at the same time, I can't be mad about it. Well, like I, I think it's a beautiful thing. I think it's important too because, as as weird as it sounds to say, exploitation is frequently one of the first steps towards normalization. You know, you think about yeah. the black exploitation films of the '60s and '70s, and we haven't like. You think about games throughout the 90s, right? They appealed to the masculine male er kind of, you know, thing. That's what you wanted to be. And then as we got into the 2000s and graphics started to come along a little bit, we started getting the exploitation of women in gaming, which was rampant throughout the 2000s and still and remains And then even a little today. bit of... Uh... I was, I was even say a little bit of sex exploitation, a little bit. Too. Oh yeah, you know, absolutely. A lot bit more sexualization in games, just in general. So when companies put a, a LGBTQ character in, uh, and it feels a little exploitive, it's because it is a little exploitive. That said, frequently exploitation is the first step towards normalization. That you need to have. It's it's always going to be a novelty before it's a standard, right? And as unfortunate of a truth as that is. And, I mean, uh, Amanda, you and I are in the trans community. We're, frankly, we're still waiting on a trans main character that doesn't make me want to gouge my eyes out. I'm looking at you, Bioware, Hanley Abrams. That was that was a rough I mean, release. So, so, I mean, like, I have a lot of, like, you know, we were talking about before we, while we were, you know, on, off the air, right, uh, about intersectionality. So, like, you know, while transness is part of my identity, to sort of talk about something that you asked initially of me and Parker, of, like, you know, what do we think of games, before, you know, back when we were first becoming gamers? So, in right. my case, you know, the 90s, like, you know, 1992, 93. You have to remember that for Black people, their representation wasn't a thing, right? Or it was just bad. Like, it was really bad representation. Or it was really bad, or, like, just like in general, like I'm thinking about it, it was really important for me that there was a Black Power Ranger, right? It was really important for me that Static Shock was a show. Oh, it was I really love Static Shock. That uh, when they started doing the Justice League cartoon, that they used um, John Stewart. They used John Stewart instead of either uh, Kyle Rayner or, or Hal Jordan. So, like, when you grow up that way, and I've talked about this a lot on my Twitter over the years. When you grow up taking the scraps that you get, you also just accept that this other video game you're playing doesn't have black 
people, right? You know, yeah. there's a joke in the African-American community about the reason we all like Piccolo, right? It's because, well, he was the only not white person on the screen, right? There's a yeah. reason why a lot of black people like anime, and it's because it's the same reason why a lot of black people like uh, liked, uh, the Kung Fu movies of the, you know, the 60s and the 70s. It's all, a lot of these shows that made it to America are about these underprivileged people rising up and gaining power and being able to use that power and, like, achieve some form of greatness, whether it's Kenshiro in Fist of the North Star or whether, you know, it's Goku constantly being the last of his kind and always triumphing over the bad guys. And so you kind of, in a sense, as a Black person, sort of make peace with, like, who, what a minority is, right? And you sort of just kind of accept whatever minority representation you get so to that first point of like, what do I think? It's like, well, representation wasn't a thought in my head as a young kid because I was so used to not seeing black people, right? Yep. Even on a show like Static Shock, someone who shared an equal amount of screen time was his friend Jimmy, who was white, Yeah. right? Yep. Oh, so Ricky. Like, yep. Ricky, and they gave him superpowers in the second season. Yep. So that did. he could be on the screen even more. And like, that's, so like, I know I'm not necessarily talking about gaming, but it's like, I didn't grow up thinking that black representation was a thing in the culture that I was really a part of, which was being a nerd, being into video games, being into comics, being into anime, being into manga. I was extremely not used to seeing myself in any shape or form, black or trans or of mixed descent, that it just stopped being a thing I thought about. Right? Like, one yeah. of my favorite esports titles to play is League of Legends. And there are maybe like seven black characters, and some of them are like racially ambiguous. And like, we take those as W's. Right. You've got like Lucian. And then it's like, okay, do I count Thresh? Like, Senna? Yeah, Senna. Senna's black. Uh, and like, you know, a lot of people are wondering if is Master Yi black because like you don't see his skin tone and he's right. got kind of like a deeper voice. Yep. And so like, as a black person, you look for all of these things from these ambiguous characters to like be like, like I said, it's the Piccolo thing, right? He's he's not white, so like he's the I guess thing I got, Piccolo, right? Because we definitely yeah. don't want Mister Popo. So no. like, oh, I didn't even think of Mister Popo. Problematic so to say the there's least. There's a reason why they made Mister Popo blue. Um, but like those those are the issues, right? Like for someone like me, like forget my transness, right? Which you kind of can't do with intersectionality. But like if you look at like a core part of my identity growing up of being black, um, I just didn't expect to ever see myself in the things I wanted to be a part of, right? There, I'm trying to. There was one black X Men, right? Grow, for me, growing up, Storm. Oh there, yeah. There was. There was no black members of the Justice League that were, like, standout characters, right? There was no black characters in the anime I watched. There was no right. black characters right. in the manga I read. And even so, when they like, did have a black Justice League, like, it was the Green Lantern, which could be white whenever they wanted him to be white. You know what I yeah, mean? Like, so like or her, or I guess, whatever. Yeah, For so for me, just, like, representation is always this really trite thing where it's cool that it's gotten better, but, like, comparatively, you know, even if you're a white queer person, you still see white people, sure. right? Yeah. You, you, there's never a time where, as a white person, you're going to turn on a video game and not see someone who is also white. Yet. Yeah. No, <laughs> yet. Well, I'd like to think that's Maybe. the case, but, yeah, we'll see. But, like, 
versus somebody like me. How many times am I going to see a racially ambiguous character? Right? That's fair. Like, yeah. How often yeah. am I going to... How many games do you think I turn on where I don't see someone who looks remotely like me? Correct. I mean, right. 99.99% so, of the time? Representation is kind of this bullshit topic for me because, like, sure, we could be like, well, oh, there's not enough LGBT representation. We're, like, still at the base at the end of the day. You still see people that look like you. Mm, they may yeah. not identify like you, but they do look like you and the people that you know and the people that you associate with. And so, yeah. like... That's fair. I think there's one thing to say, uh, and of course this all goes down to background. Obviously my background is extremely different than yours, but like yeah. to be able to look at my, like I was saying about my nieces and nephews that are in a very strict Mormon family, but still play video games, are still exposing themselves, oh, <laughs> still exposing themselves to some kind of culture outside of their own. The fact that there is representation is really big in my opinion. I think it's very good that that exists. And yeah. it, not necessarily that it affects me personally, but looking outward on on some people that I know that it might be a positive thing for, it makes me happy that it exists. But at the yeah. same time, I definitely completely see what, what Amanda is saying. So oh. it's, it's hard to find a good middle ground. Well, it, it, I mean, for sure, right? Like, at the end of the day, we all have to s step back and realize it's kind of like what I was talking about with... Um, uh, recognizing, you know, privilege, you know, even as a trans person, I, as a white trans person, I have a way easier time than I would as a, a trans person of color. And for me, the only reason that I can look at, you know, video games and say, I really wish I could see some more transgender representation in it is I think back to when I was in high school and had zero concept of what a trans person was and the bad times in my life that that led to, if I could have had something there, you know, I, I say it all the time, a show like Steven Universe, if that show had existed when I was 12, how different yeah. my life might be today. Like, because if that show had existed when I was 12, I'd probably start transitioning at 14 or 15 rather than that show was incredible. going. Yeah, re exactly. Rather than it's going so through good. years of depression, suicidal tendencies, and finally getting to where I am now, I would have been there at, yeah, 14 or 15. So... I think there is a need for representation of all matters. Uh, like, you need... Our video games need to look like the real world. And for... Which is a weird thing to say about video games, which are clearly a fantasy. But, like... <laughs> but they do. Yeah. They need to represent the people who live in this world. And, yeah, that's not always white cis het male. You know, like it's that... Yeah. Mm, it's just I, not. I want to bring up the communities, too, in gaming. Like... Me and uh, me and Parker like are, are very heavy into the Dead by Daylight community, and mm -hmm. to their credit, they're they're as they're as inclusive as I think most companies have gotten uh, behavior interactive, especially with their character designs and and they're adding every time. I think I'm trying to remember what Zarina is. Do you remember off the top of your head what what ethnicity she is? I'm pretty I sure she's, she's Egyptian or something. But anyways, they're expanding out the other than just like the white black kind of thing. Cause like, mm -hmm. yeah, they have white characters. Yes. They have black characters, but they also have Japanese characters and they're bringing in even like uh, the killers who are a part of Japanese culture and things like that. So it's like very cool that they're bringing these kind of, cultures into this one thing and like all gamers can expand because i learned so much about like the oni and things like that just because i was interested in 
that killer. And I was like, all right, that's kind of fun. Let's learn what this is. Right. And they did a very, they do a very good job at trying to like make sure everyone has someone ish. I mean, they're always growing uh, to uh, to have representation. And I mean, they're doing it right now, at least a little bit with the LGBT thing. I know they did a um, a drag like the there's three really big drag queens who do who play Dead by Daylight like mm-hmm. all the time and they uh, like did Deer a and yeah. Helix and I, I can't remember the other one. Yeah, but Deer and Helix are huge in it, and uh, they all three of them got together and did a stream together. Like that's amazing. Like that's more representation and and forethought than I've ever seen. And does it make sense to me that they're from Canada? One hundred percent. When you when I think of these things, that's uh, they're not an American company. Mm, makes sense. Yeah. And I think one of the things that you're saying about community, I think that one of the great things about Twitch and Discord and these type of platforms, even Twitter, is that if you don't feel that your direct community, right? So like I play card games, right? So you know yeah. the local game store is part of my community. If I don't think that my local game store is diverse. I can look for a queer Discord community for magic. I can look for queer magic streamers, right? And I can find that representation that may be lacking both in my immediate sphere or I feel that's lacking in the game that I play. At least the people that I, at least I know the people who play the game look like me. Because for people like me, you know, and the difference this is that, you know, sometimes you get told that you can't be a nerd because you're black, right? That nerdery is sort of this not black thing. Mm. Um, and right. so like, having access, for example, I've, I'm, uh, I'm from Long Island, New York. I moved to Albany, New York for school, and I now live in Troy, which is a city right right across the river, the Hudson. Um, when I first moved here, I ran it. Somebody saw my magic tattoo. I have a magic tattoo. See? Oh, um, so is that, was that the Torment it, logo? Nope, it's the Simic symbol. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I came into magic at, during when the Torment block came out, so that dragon is like burned into my head. Yeah, uh, Omega knows what I'm talking about. Uh, but, you know, I ran into somebody out and about in Troy, and they were like, hey, you play Magic, right? And I was like, how could they possibly know? And I'm like, oh, wait, the tattoo. Uh, and yeah. they invited me to a queer Discord that they had made of their friends and people that they had met through work and stuff for queer Magic players in the Capital District, which is, you know, the Albany-Troy Cohoes area. Right. And so, yeah. like, even though I didn't know a lot of queer magic players all this time that I've lived in the Capital District, I now had access to this community of people who had shared experiences with me and also play my favorite game of my life, right? I've been playing magic since 94, right? Ooh. So it's my longest standing fandom. What was that? Revised right? era? 94? Yeah. yeah, revised. So I've been playing magic for a hot minute and it's cool that I now play magic with a bunch of leftist liberals. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And we, we, we talk about Black Lives Matter and, you know, we talked about protest techniques while we're playing Commander. Right. right. That's my ideal fucking play group. Right. Of yes. course, not only share the game that you love, but they share other things that you like. That's how you build, I think, cohesive friendships and stronger communities. And that doesn't exist if you don't have platforms like Twitch, you know, Parker's a stream streamer or Discord, which I'm super into. Um, you know, I think that that yeah. I think that fills the whole of this representation problem that I'm talking about is that at least the difference for me from 93, you know, when I'm discovering my nerdery, you know, my brother's sharing comic books with me. There's, a, you know, Power Rangers on TV. There's a really dope X-Men cartoon that came out is I didn't know that there were other black nerds. 
now I don't have to worry about that, right? I can find other Black Magic players. I can find other Black people who are into anime. I can find other Black people that play Magic, right? I can find other trans people that play Magic. Right. And yeah. I don't, even if my games don't represent me, I can find communities that represent me instead. Yeah. I, think, I, I will say, oh, go ahead, Callie. I was, I was going to say, I've never, I never in a million years thought I was going to get this door opened for me to call out Mark Rosewater. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and do that right now. Mark, you just released the new set. It's all about tribals and creatures and weird stuff like that. And you still didn't put any squirrels into the damn set. I still don't have my squirrel legend. I'm never going to be able to make my squirrel commander deck. I hate you, Mark. Squirrels, first of all, squir- squirrels suck. Uh, and know that because Callie, unicorns, the best, the best tribe of all time. We have a legend. Yeah. What about y'all? Oh, oh you don't. Oh. Because you don't matter. No. I... Squirrel lives don't matter. Oh. Oh, oh. wow! I've, I've, I've run I squirrel were, decks. I thought you were not part of the problem, but clearly you are. <laughs> I've, I've been running squirrel what was decks. My favorite problematic line from the movie that uh, Will Smith was in when he was like, "Fairy lives don't matter." I was like, "This is so bad," but I, I I'm about it kind yeah. of secretly, but not greatly. Oh God, yeah, no, it, it's been one of those things where it's just like my secret pet peeve of magic is I I ran squirrel decks forever. And like Mark was like, I'm never putting another squirrel in the game. In the game, and for whatever reason, he's stuck to that. For all the other promises he breaks every other month, not that one. I'll <sighs> send you to, as a peace offering. I'll send you a signed deranged hermit. I, I'm all about that. I, I could go for a signed deranged hermit right now. <laughs> See peace offerings. Peace offerings. I'm about the, the like the like I, I slap you, but then like I bring the hand back over to like pat you on the head. The uh, the, the olive go. branch is important, right? Yeah. So. Uh, one more thing I kind of wanted to hit on, and and you, I mean, it's a perfect segue talking about the community that you have on Twitch and the community that you have on Discord. Uh, I, I had mentioned earlier, you know, I did not have a trans character that I could look towards for any kind of guidance, really, at any point. Uh, the first trans character I know of as a main character is coming out in a game by Dotnod later this year called Tell Me Why, which I cannot wait for, but... You're not you're not excited for Cyberpunk whatever whatever. Okay, I listen, they keep delaying it. I'm not convinced I'm ever going to get to play that one. So, <laughs> it's been since 2012. Come on now. Yeah. So, uh but what I did have was Final Fantasy 14 and Final Fantasy 11. I had MMOs, which were a place that I could go and play a female character and outside of the occasional lols do girls even play this game jokes no one really questioned it when I presented as a woman in, in those games. And that was so powerful. If for nothing else to be a bit of a playground to learn how to present as a woman, you know, you you see like the little girls who they practice doing makeup. So they go around like insane, crazy makeup in their early teen years and stuff like that. As they're still trying to learn, you know, I didn't get to do that stage, but I had games like final fantasy 14 where I could, be a woman and learn to be a woman and i know games like mmos can go such a long way in providing a little bit of diversity and a little bit of representation and allowing you to feel like yourself in a game mm-hmm. i uh i also want to point out that callie learned a lot about being a woman in final fantasy mmo oh. uh, from a previous <laughs> episode where he, callie are you a 
game? Is that what it is? Uh, no, what Chad's referring to is that I was a uh, a worker in a in a sex brothel online for many years. Uh, made real money. I did. Made uh, I, real money. I, I, I did, well, so that wasn't when I was in Final Fantasy fourteen. That was back oh, in college. Okay. That was just on a role play forum where oh, I happened to charge real money for role play. That was a great time. That was great money. Like, let me tell you, Sorry. you can make some serious cash doing that if you're a good role player. But I don't. I mean, you could then. I don't know if you can now. But. Are we? Wait, are we? Is, uh, is this Brent TOS? What? <laughs> hey, it's not showing. I anything. feel like this might be closer to breaking TOS to the feet conversation from earlier. <laughs> well, it's fun. We have been taken down when it originally aired, so yeah, I mentioned it uh, two episodes <laughs> ago. I, I I didn't can us for that one, so yeah. So hopefully they don't come for us. I, but I will say, uh, in in for those people, because I want to throw this out there before. It, it's even mentioned in the comments or anything that not to say that Twitch or discord or anything are perfect by no, any of stretch of the imagination, but it's good to see that there are communities out there. I know that women in particular struggle on streaming platforms and I've talked to many women and why that is and how they, how they kind of get um, kind of pu- pushed around by just kind of trolls who just want to, essentially like flag them for no reason at all and then you get so many flags and you're you're out you know until they say that oh yeah what you did wasn't that bad so again it's not that we're not saying twitch is perfect but we want to at least acknowledge the things that they are trying to do yeah Um, just want to throw that out there real quick yeah i just think that it's important especially for a pride episode right to talk about the fact like we were talking about like safe ways to come out is that chosen family is like a big thing in the queer community. Yeah. And I think it's also super big in the gaming community of finding this, of finding your tribe, right? You find your D and D group, you find your perfect magic play group, right? As nerds, it's not so much about just finding, you know, the cool nerd group. It's not just like finding out that you're super into, you know, X-Men. It's, finding, you know, the cool X-Men fanfic community that you want to be a part of. You know, it's not yeah. about, oh man, I love Magic the Gathering. It's about finding those three other people you play Commander with every week, right? Yep. And I think that that's true for queer people as well. I think it's super important to find your tribe and, you know, build those bonds. I think that that, you know, the world can be a pretty scary place. I think we're learning that pretty hardcore during COVID and especially, you know, with the civil unrest of the country. And I think having that great group of people that you can lean on, whether it's, you know, hanging out in Parker's stream chat or, you know, being in your Ken Main's uh, Street Fighter Discord, right? That Those are places that you can find that comfort. And it it's, I think it's something that I don't want to say, you know, non-nerd people don't have access to. You know, they probably have their book clubs or whatever. I don't know what boring non-gamers <laughs> What non-gamers do. do. I don't know. Yeah, right? I don't know. Like, what is, what are their life like? Sports or something. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. TV. <laughs> but, like, but I think I think it's important to recognize that I think one of the benefits of being a nerd is the sort of ability to find, you know, your Destiny raid group, to find your raid party in Final Fantasy fourteen, you know, to find your full company, right? Yep. And I think that that's really great about being a gamer, both, you know, G-A-M-E-R and G-A- Y-M-E-R is that you can build these cool places that don't exist in the physical space, right? Where it's your own rules and it's your own social contracts. And I think that that's extremely valid and powerful. 
it's wild when you think like I know people in Final Fantasy 11 and 14 who I do not know the real name of, but I would take a bullet for them. Like, yeah, that's just the kind I mean, of friendships got, you make. I've got magic Twitter folks that I've been friends with since 2014 that I've never met once. Yeah, but when I almost was homeless, they dropped like two hundred dollars in my GoFundMe. Right, like yep. the the connections you make digital or otherwise they're important and valid and i think some of the best friendships i have come from the nerd community right and i think that you know also having the intersection of being queer is also is like another beautiful thing that you can have in the people you play games with all right well i have taken way more of your time than i deserve (laughs) i apologize both to you parker and to you amanda uh real quick we want to let everyone know where they can find out more about you and what you got going on. Uh, Amanda, go ahead. You can go first. Amanda, T-N, tra- as in Tracy Nicole Stevens, S-T-E-V-E-N-S, and that's my Twitter. Um, and then if you've seen Sage Gnosis in the chat, that's my everything else. So that's my YouTube, my Twitch. I don't really stream that much. Uh, I do an FQC talk show called The Neutral. I also do a podcast called Mute Your Mic which is three queer women talking about intersections of gender, uh, sexuality, and race in gaming spaces. Ooh. Very cool. I mean, all right. Like, like, I mean, I think that's something that, like, I mean, I know the race thing's out of the question, but maybe Callie can <laughs> give some, some things to that one right there. Possibly. Uh, all right, Parker, where can we find you? Yeah. Um, I, I, I love, let me just say, Amanda, I'm going to have to, follow you on a bunch of stuff because I'm awesome. loving everything that I've learned this stream honestly the <laughs> amount of education is insane like I'm just trying to be a sponge right now and just take everything in but uh you can find me here on twitch it's just walk on my sock I'll put I'll put my uh my name in chat there um I'm also walk on my sock on twitter instagram youtube uh and then you can find my discord server through my twitch channel or twitter or whatever um we're just an all-inclusive community. We try to have a lot of fun together. We play a lot of random games, variety streaming, and uh, if you're into just meeting some new friends, come hang out. So we. I, we I will say you there. have the you have the cutest emotes that like I love your I agree. avocado avocado <laughs> emotes. They make me so happy. Oh, I agree. I love my emotes. They're a lot of fun. So I'm glad I'm glad that you complimented them because I try to put a lot of time and work into making them exactly the way that I want them to be. So well, perfect. They they're they're fantastic. Alrighty. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in. Uh, we appreciate having you along each and every week. Uh, make sure you're back here next week when Norris will once again be sitting in. He'll be back running the show here. But uh, we want to send a big appreciation out to Norris for uh, stepping aside this week and letting myself and Chad uh, kind of take the reins on a, on a Pride LGBTQ episode. Uh, you know, we're a pretty small team at Checkpoint. There's only five of us who create content at this point. And, you know, 40% of the team is LGBTQ. So this is a very important month for us. <laughs> this is a very important yes. time of year for us. Uh, and it's not going to end. I, I promised uh, before we started the show today, actually, that... Some big stuff is coming in the month of July. You're not going to want to miss it. Stay tuned. I, I, I'm i not 
Like, I'm not overselling it to say this is going to be the biggest month Checkpoint's ever had. You're not going to want to miss what's coming in July. Yeah. I promise it you It makes that. my stomach hurt a little bit in both excitement <laughs> and anxiety. Yeah, it's uh, going to be wild. So make sure you tune in for that. Make sure you head on over to our website. That's over at CheckpointXP.com. Follow us on Twitter at CheckpointXP and on Facebook at CheckpointXP as well. And so for myself, Kelly Sloan, and for Chad Callahan, have a good day, guys. <laughs>